trouble in the emergency room. There might not be anybody to take care of them for the first 48 to 72 hours. A doctor demands action to address safety concerns at Surrey Memorial Hospital. The technical glitch that had BC Ferries foundering. That took a lot of time because there were a number of systems that had to be recovered. What the CEO says about long weekend delays and frustrated customers. And a beloved restaurant back from the dead. I'm waiting for a long, long time for that. Yeah, back to work. Kanji Noodle House recovers from catastrophe that kept it closed for three years. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An emergency room doctor at Surrey Memorial Hospital is taking bold action tonight, speaking publicly about the crisis in the ER. It follows a scathing letter signed by dozens of physicians warning the public about deteriorating conditions there. Grace Key is live with more on this. And Grace, why is this doctor, who has a ton of experience, coming forward mm -hmm. now? Yeah, Dr. Urbane Ip has been practicing emergency medicine for the last three decades, and he says he has no choice but to come forward and speak out publicly in what physicians have described as an ongoing crisis at Surrey Memorial Hospital. He said just as a citizen and as a member of this community, he would certainly be concerned about sending his loved ones to that ER. Emergency physicians have been sounding the alarm about resource issues here, writing an open letter and even launching a website to alert the public. Doctors say there aren't enough acute care beds or hospitalists, so those are doctors who help facilitate the transition from the ER to the wards. Patients could be waiting 48 hours before an admitting doctor sees them. This also creates a massive backlog in emergency. If my family gets sick, I know if I send them to the hospital and they need to be admitted to hospital, there might not be anybody to take care of them for the first 48 to 72 hours because of the hospital's shortage. Hmm. Well, Grace, it, it is rare to see a doctor speak out mm -hmm. publicly like this. The health minister, though, says they are free to do so. Why is Ip nervous about doing it? Well, he feels confident about, he feel, feels at least confident about doing this, that uh, he says that emergency staff, they just want to be transparent about the issue. And he says, no, there has never been an official gag order, but he says Fraser Health has taken some actions that have led some to be reluctant to speak out. We tried to design a sign, a poster on the, uh, to put in the waiting, uh, in the waiting room to tell patient that, we are having resource problems, so today we might be, uh, there might be delays seeing you. But if you have a heart attack, if you have a really critical illness, we'll see you first. But those minor things, you might have to have a long delay. Fraser Health, they didn't want us to put that on. They pulled that poster down. Dr. Ip says his colleagues and patients deserve better. He adds this is a very complicated issue, obviously, that won't be fixed overnight. But he says a good start would be pushing uh, Fraser Health and the provincial government to be more transparent. Chris? A lot of people will be thankful Dr. Ip spoke out. Thanks very much, Grace. Now, the much-anticipated interim report into foreign interference in Canadian elections. And the special rapporteur is recommending 
no public inquiry into the allegations. But David Johnston says he will be helming public hearings on the matter later this year. As Richard Zussman reports, critics are calling into question not only Johnston's findings, but his impartiality. For months, calls have been growing for a public inquiry into foreign interference in Canadian elections. But former Governor General David Johnston rejecting those concerns, opting instead for public hearings with Canadians. A separate public inquiry will simply not deliver the lever of transparency and urgency Canadians expect. The intelligence I have reviewed is and must remain secret. Johnston was asked to look into the issue of China's meddling in the Canadian elections after widespread reporting based on intelligence leaks. Pork Coquitlam Mayor Brad West, a vocal critic of China's influence here in B.C., questioning the findings. What we know so far is incredibly concerning and disturbing. And the government has been so impotent. One suggestion is a better reflection of what foreign entities are lobbying government officials here. Something similar is in place in Australia. The fact that we don't have a foreign agent's registry in our country is sad. We would welcome uh, any, um, any investigation. Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim welcomes better tracking of foreign influence, especially considering reporting linked him to how China's then Consul General talked about elections with officials. I just want to say um, how outrageous it is to suggest uh, that Mayor Sim didn't win the last municipal election. I door knocked with Kennedy, uh, and I can assure British Columbians <laughs> that the Vancouver election was won fair and square. Johnson was unclear around specifically what these public hearings will look like, but experts say there needs to be greater accountability around foreign interference from politicians. Enforcement is super hard because a lot of it is kind of informal contacts and behind the scenes contacts, not, uh, you know, logging a formal meeting with a minister, but you know, bumping into them at a cocktail party. Johnston's work will wrap up with a final report in October. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, Canada's opposition leader, predictably, isn't having any of it. What did we hear from the federal leaders today? Yeah, it was always a bit of a puzzle how to have a public inquiry to examine classified documents and undercover agents. That was one of the reasons why Johnson gave today why there is no public inquiry. That is not satisfying the opposition, though. Pierre Pauli have never bought into this process from the beginning. He questions the ties between Johnson and the Trudeau Foundation. Uh, of course, the Prime Minister says he'll follow all the recommendations here. And an NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, also has some problems. Here's the three leaders. He put his friend, uh, his ski buddy, his cottage neighbor and Trudeau Foundation member, David Johnston, in charge of uh, today's uh, um, whitewash attempt. Well, Conservatives are not buying it. I committed uh, to listening very carefully and abiding by the recommendations that the, uh, that, uh, the former Governor General made. Uh, and he uh, explained and justified his thought processes by it, and we will be following his recommendations. So far, the, the Prime Minister has not in any way indicated that he'll have, that he'll launch a public inquiry. He can still, despite the finding from Mr. Johnston. And so what I'll be doing is I'll be sitting down with the Prime Minister, making it very clear that I disagree with the finding of Mr. Johnston, that a public inquiry is necessary. I will make that very clear. And I'll make it clear to the Prime Minister that we're going to use all the tools that we have at our disposal to continue to push for one 
at the federal level. So the Liberal government, of course, is a minority government propped up into power by the NDP, led by Jagmeet Singh. They're going to have a meeting. I'd be very surprised, though, that Jagmeet Singh is going to move Justin Trudeau off his mark here and lead to a public inquiry. Surely not the end of this story, though. Thanks for that, Keith. And Johnston's report also disputed a report by Global News that former Liberal MP Han Dong allegedly advised the Chinese Consul General to delay the release of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Johnston's report did confirm that Global News reporting from two independent national security sources that claimed Dong spoke with the official, but said he did not suggest extending their detention, calling that allegation false. Dong admits having the conversation, but says he advocated for the two Michaels release. The PMO said Dong was not speaking for the federal government and was never used as a back channel. Global News also reported Dong allegedly received help from the consulate during his 2019 Liberal nomination meeting. Dong denied those allegations, though, and the report found no evidence he was aware of the PRC's potential involvement. Dong has served a statement of claim against Global News and our parent company, Chorus Entertainment. The federal government has announced a new trusted traveler program to speed things up at airports before the busy summer vacation season. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra says the new verified traveler program will create new dedicated security screening lines at the country's six biggest airports by June 21st. If you're a Nexus member, an aviation worker or in the military, you'll be able to pass through these checkpoints much more quickly. Algabra says you won't have to remove your shoes or your belt, and you can leave items in your carry-on bag. The program will offer eligible travelers an improved screening experience with specific benefits at security screening checkpoints. This includes being able to keep laptops, large electronics, and compliant liquids and gels in their carry-on. Today's announcement comes after the chaos at airports last summer as travel demand spiked post-pandemic, that chaos led to more than 47,000 complaints. Well, after a long, a busy long weekend that saw ferry cancellations, delays, and BC Ferries' website go offline, we are finally hearing from BC Ferries' CEO today. Nicholas Jimenez was not put forward for an interview over the Victoria Day long weekend, but today, tells Global News, despite a couple of unfortunate events, including the cancellation of all sailings to and from Bowen Island Saturday night, more than 400,000 people traveled on the ferries over the weekend. Still, Jimenez says they could have done a better job at communicating information with the public after their website went down Monday morning. Could we do better? We can always do better. I think that is clear. Um, so, you know, we take every opportunity like this one, and like you said, there will be others, uh, to make sure that we kind of build in better practices in the future to make sure that, you know, when customers can't reliably get into our systems. They at least know why. Jimenez says the website crashed after an issue in its Kamloops data center. He also says BC Ferries will always try to do its best and can learn from every situation. One man has been taken into custody after a frightening high-risk incident in Chilliwack. Just after 2 p.m. Monday, Police were called to a home in the 46,000 block of Knight Road over concerns about a distraught man who had access to a number of guns. At about 7.45, someone from inside the home fired a number of shots at officers 
and residents of 16 nearby homes were told to shelter in place while negotiations continued. Later that night, the house started to burn. The flames spread quickly, and then just after midnight, the 29-year-old man was taken into custody. Chilliwack RCMP say their investigation is ongoing. At the trial of the man accused of killing a Burnaby teenager in 2017, the jury heard cross-examination today of a key Crown witness. A warning, some of the details in this story could be disturbing. Ibrahim Ali is charged with first-degree murder in the death of the young girl whose body was found in Central Park. The Crown contends he strangled her while sexually assaulting her. He has pleaded not guilty. Defence counsel is attempting to dismantle the testimony of forensic pathologist Dr. Jason Morin that the young teen's cause of death was strangulation. Morin had testified that in roughly 80% of strangulation cases, there is evidence of bruising on the neck. But in this case, there were no injuries to the neck. Morin agreeing with the defense suggestion that logically, if a person who's being strangled is fighting back, that would increase the likelihood of bruising. The doctor also essentially agreed with defense that it's not possible to conclude whether the girl's injuries were due to forced intercourse or consensual sex. The judge today excused one juror, leaving 13, which is more than enough, he says, to proceed. More than two years after closing due to a catastrophic construction accident next door, a well-loved neighborhood restaurant is about to reopen. What it took for Kanji Noodle House to survive. Next on the News Hour. Ford passengers get a big surprise waiting in line for the ferry. The Megasaurus sighting in Nanaimo coming up. Plus, celebrating 100 years of memories at the old Britannia Mill building and the community it once supported later on the news hour. Right now, though, delegates from across North America are in Vancouver to discuss the future of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Chinatowns in Vancouver and elsewhere took a beating during the pandemic. So, as Aaron MacArthur reports, leaders are sharing ways to rejuvenate communities that remain deeply rooted in the past and face an uncertain future. For more than 100 years, the blocks around Main and Pender Streets have been a unique and integral part of Vancouver. Chinatown's rich history has been tarnished by anti-Asian hate, street disorder, and people fleeing for neighborhoods outside the city core. Issues that have only accelerated in recent years. What Vancouverites think of as an isolated issue is anything but Chinatowns around North America facing the same set of circumstances. It was really exciting to see this kind of interest in, in people wanting to try and revitalize Chinatowns. Representatives from 18 cities across the continent are in Vancouver this week for a first-of-its-kind conference. The Chinese community looking for ways to preserve its history and revitalize these vibrant neighborhoods. There's so much cultural context of what it has contributed to the American fabric, to the Canadian fabric, and so that's important step number one, is a recognition of what is at stake here. During the pandemic, the difficulties in keeping Chinatown alive became much more difficult. In many ways, this conference, a direct response to those challenges. And for the first time, all three levels of government are investing directly in Vancouver's Chinatown. The city actively trying to engage the neighborhood. Street disorder is on the provincial government's radar. 
And Tuesday, the federal government announcing $5 million in funding for the Chinese Canadian Museum in the Wing Sang building. The government of Canada, by providing this funding, um, helps us to, to continue in natural scope. Preserving the past, an important aspect of a revitalized Chinatown, but the neighborhood can't be thought of as a museum. What Chinatown looks like 20 years from now will be vastly different than what it looked like 20 years ago. Finding ways to honor the heritage and embrace the future will be a key goal. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's a great day for Metro Vancouver foodies with a popular Chinese restaurant reopening after going dark more than three years ago. It was forced to close after a catastrophic construction accident next door. Krista Dow reports on the welcome return of Kanji Noodle House. With less than 24 hours to go, the back of house working away furiously for Wednesday's soft reopening. The Kanji Noodle House on East Broadway back in action after being closed since January 31st, 2020. We also very excited to see how how things go, probably going to be, hopefully going to be even better than before. Chan says it's been a challenging three years after the collapse of a retaining wall at a condo construction site next door. The damage coming on the heels of COVID, which then led to permit delays, plus issues with their insurance company. I've been working with us for the, for the, for the claim, and then all of a sudden, after half the year, they said, no, uh, your claims did denied. So that is also causes us, uh, causing us problem. I was expecting only like uh, maybe within a year, but we, it ended up to be three years more than, you know. Many staff either retired or found other jobs, but cashiers like Dita Lai, who's worked here for more than 20 years, stayed put. Exciting. And uh, I'm waiting for a long, long time for that. Yeah, back to work is happy. <laughs> they all was was up to me. Then uh, asked me, uh, when will you open, guys? Uh, we are waiting for for a long, long time. They don't want any fast food outside anymore. They want to come back. He's very excited uh, for uh, our uh, reopening tomorrow after so many years. This is one of our VIP rooms. Now with a new revamped space and new menu items, they're ready to welcome back the regulars. New generation bring their own kids. You know, that, that, that's very exciting. A kanji comeback story that while it took longer than expected, they hope was worth the wait. Krista Dow, Global News. Looking forward to it. Coming up, a close call in OK Falls. The big rock causing big problems on a crucial road into the community. Plus... We're frustrated. Um, It's a concern in our community. Chaos at an Abbotsford homeless encampment and the dangerous spike in violent crimes. Next. Massive boulder is blocking a road in the community of Okanagan Falls. A rock fall with one the size of a small car tumbled down Saturday night on a Green Lake Road, shutting it down in both directions. The slide made for an especially memorable wedding for a couple having their party at See You Later Ranch. It's a busy Saturday of the long weekend, May long weekend, and we were in the middle of hosting a pretty large wedding and we found out there was a rock around, I think sometime between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night, we found out there was a rock blocking the way. So we just had to get into action, make sure all the guests could get home. 
As of this afternoon, the road was still closed with no timeline on reopening. Abbotsford police say they're having an increasingly tough time dealing with an increasingly violent and chaotic tent encampment. Officers have been called more than 10,000 times in the past eight years to the Lonzo Park and Ride lot, including nearly 700 times already this year alone. Kamal Kuramali reports. It's the largest homeless encampment in Abbotsford, and over the years, it's been growing in size and escalating in violence. A fire Monday night in one of the RVs being used as a shelter. We're frustrated. Um, it's a concern in our community. Burned out mobile homes, tarp structures and tents, all on what's supposed to be a park and ride lot near Highway 1, just west of Sumas Way. What kind of violent crime do you see here? Yeah, so we've seen things such as stabbings, uh, knife attacks, uh, machetes. Uh, we've taken firearms out of here. In 2017, there were 34 calls to the Lonzo area for violent crimes. Since then, those calls have been increasing year after year, nearly quadrupling in 2021 when there were 120 calls for violent crimes, all of it affecting nearby businesses. Server Sophie Yankowski said she's been assaulted at work. She strangled my neck. She ripped my clothes. Like... I had to call the police and they had to physically come remove her. Now the battle to shut down the encampment has hit a boiling point. There's just so many uh, issues that we're facing here that we really need a solution quickly. The problem is the land is owned by the province and residents have been critical of the government dragging its feet to find a solution. It gets very frustrating. Um, we have been working with the, the BC Housing on some solutions, um, but it takes time. There's no room to get people in there. The social housing structure nearby completely full, but the province says it's working on building another complex, although not providing a timeline. We're a couple of weeks away from uh, announcing uh, our next steps on it. The longer it takes, the, the more uh, the encampment gets entrenched and the more challenging the issues become. But for many here with the violence escalating, time is running out, hoping the province comes through with its promise as early as this summer. Kamal Karamali, Global News. RCMP and Maple Ridge are investigating a crash that left a cyclist in hospital with serious injuries. The cyclist collided with a pickup truck on Lougheed Highway at Lady Street just after 9 this morning. The area has a painted bicycle line, but no protected infrastructure for cyclists. The left front of the truck is dented while the bike is largely destroyed with a shoe and other belongings scattered on the road. Police say the driver remained on scene and was cooperating with investigators. They are asking for any witnesses to come forward. Up ahead, a huge break for firefighters. I'm pretty hopeful, pretty confident. This, this, this will be the trigger point for people back. How weather is helping douse the wildfires in Alberta. Plus, the breast milk shortage putting many newborn babies at risk and how you can help. Well, there are signs tonight that Alberta's wildfire situation is at a turning point. Rainy weather in that region is raising hopes for firefighters and residents waiting to return home. Nithu Garcha has the latest. Near Fox Creek, firefighters are gaining ground. Like most areas of the province, they've now seen rain, lower temperatures and higher humidity. We're just worried it might spark up again. 
but uh, I'm pretty hopeful, pretty confident this, this, this will be the trigger point to bring people back. Fox Creek Fire Chief Brian Davidson says once this rain gauge reaches a certain point, lifting the now nearly three-week-long evacuation order will be possible. And we're hoping for uh, at least 25 mils of rain before we can start bringing or considering bringing, bringing people back. So I just want to make sure the town is safe, you know, I want to make sure I can bring my children back here. For volunteers like him, fighting to protect this community is personal. He grew up in Fox Creek and says it's been a difficult few weeks for many. It's an emotional roller coaster is what it is. Especially for evacuees like Carol Scobie, who's lived in Fox Creek for more than 40 years. She says the support from strangers has been overwhelming. The love, caring and compassion, you know, very much so. Um, there isn't anybody that you can go into town here and they don't give you a hug. She says seeing this rainfall also helps bring hope. We are so happy that this rain has come. Firefighters can concentrate on the containment lines and not chasing these wildfires that are popping up. About two hours away in Yellowhead County, fire officials say the rain has suppressed fire activity, but they're not letting their guards down. Unfortunately, on the weekend, we are expecting an uptrend of temperature. And so we may um, get into something similar to last week. But now that the grass is green and the trees are leafed out, we don't expect the same conditions as we did two weeks ago for sure. After being grounded for a few days because of thick smoke, this is a co-pilot seat. This private helicopter pilot contracted by Alberta Wildfire was able to get back up in the air to help map the fire perimeter. Watching the, you know, the fire come so close to people's homes and their animals and, and wildlife too, and, and watching them get confused and run in the wrong direction, it's, it's tough, it's, it's hard. Back in Fox Creek, Fire Chief Davidson says, especially with temperatures expected to stay low throughout the week, he's confident about his members' ability to drive out the fire threat and welcome residents back home soon. The fire chief says the flames are still within about four kilometers of Fox Creek. And even if they do feel comfortable allowing residents back home, the wildfire will be in their backyard for months to come. Across Alberta, provincial officials say this shift in weather could be the turning point in an early and already unprecedented wildfire season. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Fox Creek, Alberta. A Vancouver Island man is sharing some alarming dash cam video, hoping to send a message about safety. Sydney Hong was heading north on the island highway near Shimanis on Monday when a propane tank bounced across the highway in front of him. Hong had to slow down to keep from hitting it. Hong says he was afraid the tank would get stuck under his car and explode. He says luckily everyone was driving safely with enough space between them because several people had to hit their brakes and dodge the tank. He also says the video clearly illustrates the importance of safely securing propane tanks. In health matters tonight, many of B.C.'s tiniest babies rely on the province's milk bank to survive. But right now, stocks are critically low, with less than a month's supply available. As Catherine Urquhart reports, B.C. Women's Hospital is hoping more donors will come forward to help. B.C. Women's Provincial Milk Bank helps provide life-saving donations to B.C. infants, many of them premature. In fact, it supplied approximately 130,000 ounces over the past year, feeding nearly 4,500 children. Now, for the second time in eight months, supplies are extremely low. Right now, demand is fairly high, uh, so we have about three weeks' worth in our freezers. 
Mother's milk is especially critical for premature babies who are at higher risk due to having fragile guts. Babies like Ethan, who was born at just 32 weeks. His mother's breast milk hadn't yet come in. Stressful, as I mentioned, that uh, I didn't expect this in any way. BC Women's Provincial Milk Bank supplies 19 hospitals around the province, including all 14 neonatal intensive care units. Providing human milk, ideally mother's own, but understandably that's not always possible. So pasteurized donor milk is the next best thing, and that is protective to the human gut. The milk bank has about 330 donors and needs about double that amount in order to meet the requests they're receiving. Anyone interested in donating can find more information on the BC Women's website. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Canada's kidney paired donation program is marking a milestone today. 1,000 patients have received kidney transplants. The plan matches transplant candidates with suitable living donors. It gives people the chance to become a donor while ensuring those in need receive a kidney, even if they're not a direct match. One of those recipients is Devin Graywall. He says the donation gave him the opportunity to live his life again. But over the last like five years, I started caring more. And then once I went on dialysis, that's when it started changing. I wasn't able to play sports. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that I was used to doing. You know, I can go back to doing what I want to do. And I feel like I want that for everybody. So it's, I think it's extremely important for people to donate. If you're looking to donate, go to blood.ca to find out if you are eligible. Just ahead, waiting for a ferry has never been more fun. We're trying to make it happen as fast as possible before we got in trouble. The impromptu performance of Megasaurus coming up. And in sports tonight, the BC Lion leading by example. What TJ Lee is doing to be a better influence. I don't want to complain. <laughs> but... But, but, but I didn't turn the furnace on again. Oh my goodness. Really? We're that cold? A little chilly. Oh a little chilly. Or put a sweater on. I guess okay. that would have been the better way to do it. You okay? Do I just like blanket? feeling I like feeling the warm floors. I can't lie. We'll get you some slippers. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, Christy. Well, Chris will get his uh, warm weather back in a day or two. Yes, in a couple of days. Yeah, we have a surge in heat expected once again, not like what we had um, a couple or the last couple of weeks, basically. But yes, we're back to warmer conditions. But you know what? The rain and the cooler conditions is great news for the forest fire fight. So we've had anywhere from 10 to 40 millimeters of rain across the BC area. It's a very slow moving system. It's dropped the temperature, brought in moisture, and that's the case in throughout the Alberta region as well. So this really is generally uh, good news. But as I just mentioned, we are going to see a surge in temperature. It's only going to be a two or three day event before temperatures come down once again. So this moisture that we're seeing is short-lived before we're back to sort of warmer weather for the little for a few days. Um, this is the fire danger rating. So that's the good news with this rainfall. We've seen it decrease in most areas, but the bad news is we've seen an increase with that rainfall uh, to the flood advisory. So we now have a number of areas under a flood watch. It includes the upper and middle Fraser River, Peace River region, the Okanagan Valley region, the Boundary region. So much of the province in the interior 
Ontario are now under a flood watch and we'll be tracking this closely but the rain is going to ease off. We are going to see though some haze shift into the south coast area with that more northerly flow expected tomorrow. So a heads up to those of us across the south coast. We have some sunshine on the way which is great news but it, it does come with a little bit of haze. There's the moisture shifting out. Tomorrow we just have a slight risk of an isolated shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon. Generally that rainfall is shifting out of the area. So there's your forecast for the region. Again, hazy conditions still expected in many of these areas, but a slight chance of an isolated shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon. Uh, the Caribou region and Thompson region, still a bit of rainfall just through the early morning hours, and that should clear out. And we'll likely see a bit of cloud cover earlier in the day, but that will clear out as well. We'll be left with sunshine for the next couple of days with a nice warming trend. Chris, you won't need your uh, your therm your, your heater on, but you could uh, just put on your sunscreen. Here's a look at James Nichols, uh, Nicholas, who sent this from Victoria over the Victoria Day long weekend. And all of these little guys lined up in the heat. Back Aww. to you two. So cute. I much prefer sunscreen. <laughs> boiler on. Thanks very much, Gordo. Well, some of those BC Ferries passengers we mentioned earlier who were stuck in long waits over the holiday long weekend ended up getting an unexpected show along with their boarding pass. Yep, a short-lived fiery display of the Megasaurus delighted passengers. You have to do this when you say Megasaurus. It delighted passengers, but as Janet Brown reports, not everyone was impressed with the antics. It was an unexpected sight at the Departure Bay Ferry Terminal in Nanaimo on the holiday Monday. A transforming robotic dinosaur with hydraulically activated arms, often seen at motorsport events, was unleashed to entertain ferry passengers. It was like, all right, you guys got two minutes, make it happen. You know, and it was one of those, like we we're trying to make it happen as fast as possible before we got in trouble. So we opened it up, gave it show real quick and then close it back up before you know all the the safety vest came down and but the fun didn't last very long when it was going the, the loudspeakers started saying you know attention all passengers with the oversized vehicle on lane 27 please stop shooting fire you know? Payne says they were only trying to help out frustrated travelers some waiting several ferry sailings to pass the time People kept thanking us. Uh, people offered some of our guys meals, you know, just said that was the highlight of their day. You know, thank you very much. Uh, you know, that was what we did. BC Ferries says there could have been a potential risk to passengers. Concern would be uh, the flammable nature of the uh, display. You know, if there was dangerous cargo nearby, even a vehicle carrying hay. Despite being told to pack it up, Payne says... He has no regrets. We're trying to give that people that break when, I mean, some of those people were there for eight hours, you know, waiting for boat. I'm glad we did it. The Megasaurus is now heading for its next destination on the prairies. Janet Brown, Global News. Excuse I think I think Megasaurus had something to eat that didn't agree with him. Yeah. Digestion. So it's okay, burp, it yeah. happens. <laughs> What are you but that's do? a cool show. Mm -hmm. It's not very often Megasaurus makes an appearance in your traffic jam. Uh, Lions veteran defensive back TJ Lee says a change in his diet could make him even better this season. You know, I'm finally starting to make a conscious effort to eat vegetables because i got to be an example, right? i got children, got to be an example, got to show them how to do it. It's good to see that the produce section is now part of TJ's world. Thanks, Squire.
Also coming up, a birthday at the old Britannia mine. 100 years of stories about the building you can't miss as you drive by and the community that used to call it home. Great sports time. Here's Squire. Thank you very much. There will be a BC team in the Canadian Soccer Championship final, that's for sure. It'll either be defending champion Vancouver Whitecaps or Victoria's Pacific FC, which is in the Canadian Premier League. They will play tomorrow night at Starlight Stadium in Langford. Now, two years ago, Pacific FC beat Vancouver in this tournament. It was an upset that upset the Whitecaps so much, they changed coaches right afterwards. Now, Vanny Sartini will not be made to walk the plank on the ferry ride home if Vancouver loses. But in this David versus Goliath story, Vanny knows that David has some skills. They're going to come with an intensity that is going to be really, really high. They want to, uh, they have one, uh, the possibility to arrive at the final. That would be a massive achievement for the CPL side. That being said, I think that if we play our best game, I think uh, we have all the capabilities, the skills in order to uh, be the best team on the field and, uh, and win the game. Nine years ago, the BC Lions found defensive back TJ Lee at a free agent camp they held just outside of his hometown in Seattle. They usually go to these camps with very tempered expectations, but this guy was too good to ignore. And all these years later, TJ Lee is still a BC Lion and he's still too good to be ignored. Originally, my goal was 10 years, um, and for me to be able to decide when I want to walk away from the game, that would be a great accomplishment for me, and that's things that I take pride in because the labors of my work has shown through hard work. That would be great, you know. So 10 years, and then we'll see. Um, my wife says 12, so we might play 12. She's enjoying it right now. Officially, this is TJ Lee's ninth season of professional football. Every step of it coming in the CFL and every on-field movement as a member of the BC Lions. At 32, he's a steadying influence for BC's defense. And off the field, he's a respected voice and leader in the Leo's dressing room. And that is picked off. It's Lee again, his second of the game. Wants to win and has the work ethic to make sure that everybody around him has to either match it or you get left behind. Um, I think that's what separates him. Uh, the reason why he's been able to play so long, yes, he has the ability, yes, he has athleticism and all those things, but his mindset separates him. Um, he, he's always looking forward to the next play. He's excited about football. That never changes, and it's actually something that is contagious for everybody amongst the group. And he has the mindset of either be with the uh, group or at that point we got to leave without you because we got goals. For a guy who's wrapped his hands around 23 career interceptions in 109 CFL games, Lee is still in search of his first Grey Cup championship. That's his number one football goal. The other one is more of the dietary nature, a true green resolution that's been a lifetime in the making. Um, I'm deciding to eat vegetables. You know, I'm finally starting to make a conscious effort to eat vegetables because I got to be an example, right? I got children, got to be an example, got to show them how to do it. Um, first, it was a mental block, never really ate vegetables, never really been forced to, you know. Um, now, making a conscious effort to... What was the first vegetable that you tried? Uh, it's mainly just like salad, you know, like I never had really salad, never really, you know, it just was a waste for me mentally. Now, I mean, I just put some chicken and some bacon on it and some Caesar, you know, and, and I could do that. And honestly, as I got older, I kind of like ran away from food. I never really became a foodie. so. 
you know, not being a foodie, it's nice to make sure I got some greens in my system and with some chicken and, you know, so I'm, I'm eating healthier, you know. I'm glad to hear that. The uh, Calgary Flames have promoted Craig Conroy from assistant GM to be the new general manager. It's the first time he will be a boss. And to help him, Calgary has brought in former Canucks GM Dave Nonis. The first thing Conroy has to do is hire a new head coach. This guy plays for Craig Conroy in Calgary. Tyler Toffoli, Team Canada against Czechia as they play one more game before the knockout round at the World Hockey Championships. That's a goal for Peyton Krebs in the power play. one nothing in the first period. And hey, Canucks' Tyler Myers scored a goal here. Proved to be the winning goal as well. That made it 2-1 in the third. And uh, with that, Canada beats Czechia 3-1. They'll take on Finland Thursday in the knockout round. Well, after being swept in the Western Conference Final last night by Denver, LeBron James made it sound like the King could be ready to abdicate his throne. He isn't sure if he'll come back for a 21st NBA season. Now, it's not like he's a shell of his former self. He can still play at a high level, but the body does start to break down after a while. I, mean, I love to play the game. Um, I love to compete. I love to be out there for my guys, my teammates, wherever I have that, that particular year. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going, going forward with the game of basketball, Got a lot to think about. Let's see. There you go. He's got to hang in there to play with Bronny, doesn't he? Well, that would be the... one more year after next year, so at least two years. If, if Bronny, his son, only does one year of college. We'll see. So you have to hang in for two more. All right. Thanks, Squire. Memories from the old mill building at Britannia Mine coming up and how it led to romance for a pair of co-workers. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, tonight what the mayor of Bowen Island thinks of the new ferry CEO's response to the long weekend service disruptions. It was slow going or no going to Bowen Saturday as late day ferry service was replaced by water taxis. Plus, after 40 years, what's believed to be Vancouver Island's last video rental store, Remember those? Has announced it is shutting down in September. Find out how the business was able to survive so long and what the final straw was tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? Used to love that pick a flick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jordan. All right, these days it's better known as that unmissable landmark on the Sea to Sky Highway, but the big imposing building in the mountainside at Britannia Beach was once a busy mill surrounded by a vibrant community. It's been 100 years since the old mill was first established, and the anniversary is bringing back a lot of memories and even a love story. Jada Rant has that in tonight's This is BC. It's a milestone anniversary for that famous gray building along the Sea to Sky Corridor. Mill number three at Britannia Beach is still standing as it did when it first opened 100 years ago. This building here is a complete steel and concrete construction and it's sitting right on the side of the mountain. Only the sound of water drops fill the cavernous room now. The roar of heavy machinery processing ore fell silent after its closure almost five decades ago. The mill ran pretty well all the time because they had to keep up the production of it. Now a tour guide sharing the history, Marshall Tishara worked here until its closing in 1974. 
This photo of the last shift is part of the story of the community that grew as the company expanded. The swimming pool, we had the school here, the hospital was here. And I was an 18-year-old kid, and of course we played baseball together, we had car clubs together, we did everything. We had the firemen's club and uh, the whole bit. Festivals were a big part of the calendar for the employees and their families who lived on site or nearby. There were competitions of every kind for all ages, from golf to fishing, a little tennis, and even some track and field. Baseball was big at Britannia and created some great rivalries over the years. It was town against town. Britannia would play against Woodfiber or Squamish or Pemberton or Whistler. We always really liked to go to Woodfiber because they had a legion. <laughs> <laughs> over the years, former employees and their families have returned to the site to relive the memories. Me having the opportunity to talk to somebody who worked here is me being able to pass that torch and kind of pass that information along. Marshall's memories run a little deeper than just work and the ball club. This is where he met a young receptionist named Marianne, who later became his wife. It's really hard to date somebody you're working with, and if it doesn't work out, you know, it's, it's well, I ended up dating her, so I had to marry her. So I ended up marrying her a year later, and, and we're still together after 52 years. Jay Durant, Global News. So many great stories and characters in BC. If you have something you think we should know about, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc@globalnews.ca. Enough copper for millions and millions of pennies came out of there over that lifespan of that mail. Okay, last word on weather before we go from Christy. Sure, I was going to mention, if you haven't been by Britannia Museum, you really have to. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, clearing trend tomorrow morning. We've got three days of sunshine on the way. A little bit more cloud cover over the weekend, but still no rain in the forecast for our area. Ooh. All right, thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night. Good night, all.